together. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Timothy with me this morning. If you're a friend or a guest, I'm new to this church, relatively speaking, although almost to the day now, it's eight months since Deb and I started our ministry here with you at Calvary Baptist. Got here on January the 12th and kind of had our first day here on January the 13th. So it's been a very quick whirlwind eight months together. But one of the first things that I decided to do, led of the Holy Spirit, was to preach through the pastoral epistles to kind of understand what it means for us to be a church. And so I've titled this series, We the Church, How God's People Live Life. And today we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, particularly verses 1 to 7. And the idea that we're looking at today is the servant leaders for God's church. Are you ready for this? We're going to look at how church is structured and about pastors and elders. Oh, yay. Isn't that such a lively subject? You're like, man, that, that's riveting. That's gripping. Like, I really can't, couldn't believe, couldn't wait to get here to hear about church structure. It's like watching C-SPAN on cable, isn't it? So let's see if we can find some hope and delight in this. Let's look at these verses. First, First Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1, all right? Get ready for this gripping passage of Scripture, all right? The saying is trustworthy, Paul says to Timothy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity. And if you write in your Bibles, underline those three words, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit by way of introduction, and this introduction is going to be a little bit more lengthy as we kind of lay a foundation for this, and Lord willing, draw out the gospel in every aspect of God's word. But I want you to think about two words, authority and leadership. And again, did you get the warm and fuzzies when you heard those words? You know, those that are in charge... What comes to mind when you hear expressions like he's got the authority, she's in authority, he's in charge, they're the ones with the power, especially considering that we live in a crazy world right now, don't we? There are provincial elections, federal elections. In the U.S., as I prayed, they're gearing up for presidential elections. And yet, if you just think about the last calendar year, if we just go back 12 months, think about what's been in the headlines from football scandals to corrupt politics to police brutality and civic uprising. And if we look around the world, that's just what's happened in North America, in Canada, the United States. Now, think globally and think of the Syrian refugee crisis. 
and what's been happening in the Middle East? What about the Ukraine crisis that almost seems like a distant memory, but it's not even a year old? And all of the lives that were lost there, all because men in charge, leaders, acted more like dictators than they did servants. Think of leaders in our world today. Who do you look up to if you're going to look up to a leader in the world? CEOs of major businesses and corporations are caught stealing, cheating, and quitting all the time. And now, let's go in here into the church. What's your view and understanding of church? How important is church to you? How and why do you come to the conclusion you do to? If someone says, do you go to church? And you go, yes, why? What would your answer be? Or what would be, what is your issue of church? These types of things. Why is the church under attack today? Because hmm, it is. You want to find uh, how much church can be a punchline? Just listen to late night television. Go to any of the major news networks and find any story that has to do with religion or church and then go down and read the comments. It will keep you up at night to know that this is how the church is viewed. But let me touch on a real nerve here this morning. What's your view or or opinion or quote-unquote those in charge in the church? What do you think of pastors, really? I mean, when I'm not around, all right? You know, the quote Shrek, really, really, okay? You know, those who preach, those who lead, those that are often the face of a church. Do you really understand what or who a pastor is? I mean, really? Here at Calvary, if you're new here, we have what's called a plurality of elders. Oh, boy. You know, everybody's looking at me like, yeah, I passed that test if you gave it to me. I did. Some of you are like, We've got a plurality of elders. I didn't know we had one of those. All right. And this is the problem. Do you know, does the church that you know, or do we know who we are and why we have it? Do you know who I am as a church? Do you know who Paul and Daniel are as a church? Are they different from me? Am I different from them? Are the three of us different from you? How did I, how did we get to be who we are? How do you answer someone from the outside? (laughs) Because believe me, everybody has an opinion. And believe it or not, even though this is not often preached about and not often discussed, every church, every church in this city has a structure, has a leadership paradigm. Every one of you goes to church and thinks about, and listen, the kids do as well. One of my favorite stories, three kids, a doctor's son, a lawyer's son, and a pastor's son were playing hockey out in the driveway, and dad heard this through the window. And they were yakking about each of their dad's jobs. So the doctor's son says, listen, man, my dad sees a a man or a woman for like 15 minutes and gets 200 bucks. Then the lawyer's son says, listen, my dad sits down with someone for an hour and gets $1,000. Then the pastor's son says, guys, listen, man, my dad gets up, speaks to a few people for 45 minutes, takes six dudes to take up his salary. All right, everybody, including kids, has an opinion about church structure and about who's in charge and about authority. But I want you to realize something. As dry as this subject could potentially be, we just read it in God's word. God has a plan. 
God has a plan. God not only created the church, he sent his son Jesus to die for the church. Do you realize your Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ? We are collectively the bride of Christ. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. John in Revelation chapter 21 says that he sees the, the glories of heaven, the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. That is where John is describing what the church looks like when it's prepared for Christ. So there must be then by default a right way and a wrong way to view church and to view church structure. There must be a right way for us to live life in front of a watching world and show that watching world that what's normal out there is not normal in here. Now, what I mean by that is this. Now, if you thought authority and leadership were really cool words, try this one on. Christians live life in submission. There's that S word. That's like the dirtiest word in church, submission. The moment you say it, everybody's antennas go up. And yet it's a massive part of your Bible. Christians live life in submission, but to who or what? You see, we live life in submission to Christ. That was what our first question was in the New City Catechism. We live life in submission to Christ. And Jesus Christ is our example in Philippians 2. He lives in submission to God, his Father. We live life in submission to each other. That's part of the one another commands of the New Testament. We live life in submission to government. Paul tells the Romans to do it in Romans 13. Peter tells us to do it in 1 Peter. And we live life in a loving submission to each other, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 13. I, I, I got to get this out of my system. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous wedding chapter of the Bible and was never written for weddings just so everybody knows. And I'm pointing all the fingers at myself because Debs knows as she walks out, um, maybe because I turned to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, this was read at our wedding. I sang this to my wife at our wedding. So when I'm about to go off on this, I am talking about me, okay? So often this chapter is used at weddings. Do you realize this chapter was written to a church? It was written to people in church on how to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice what he says. He says, if I speak the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I have all the charismatic gifts, if I can do miraculous things but I'm proud of it or I'm loving, or not loving, I'm nothing but just a windbag in today's vernacular. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, listen to this and think about the way we're supposed to think of each other and treat each other in the church. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for the prophecies, they're all going to pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and I will tell you when you're wondering about that, that means Jesus. So when Jesus comes, the partial will pass away. And then notice what Paul says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I grew up and I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, Love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So as we get into church structure at all, when we think about how we're supposed to behave in the church as Christians who submit, who live lives of submission to God, to government, to each other, I want you to realize that all that submission is wrapped up in a cocoon called love. And it's love based on truth, not based on feelings. All right, it's based on fact. Now, you might say, okay, Steve, you know what? Listen, man, it's hot. I can see you wiping your face. You've lost it. You've had a hard week. You sent an email out. Obviously, you're down in the dumps. Look around you, dude. Think of the world you live in. Think about all the church scandals. Like, how can you possibly stand up there and say you're going to preach about the glories and the virtues of church structure? Think about all of the dictator pastors that are out there. And every one of you can probably visualize someone even as I say it. Think about all the church splits that have happened. Think about the cults that exist. All because someone had too much power or got too power hungry. Think of all the mainline denominations that exist today, which have their clergy way up here and the lowly laity way down here. All right, think about that. Are you saying, actually, think about Donald Trump. You know, most pastors, I shouldn't say most, some pastors, maybe you've experienced a pastor who was very Donald Trump-like, the guy who would basically say, you're going to do what I say, when I say it, how I say it, or I'm going to tell you, you're fired. Very bombastic. Where guys, of course, told a group of people not to think but to obey whatever they told them to do. And if that's what you're talking about, without a doubt, you're 100% correct. But that's not what the Bible teaches It's not what the Bible illustrates, and it's not what the Bible wants you and I to think about when we come to 1 Timothy 3. You see, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, describes servant leaders. Servant leaders. God intends for every church, this church, every church, if you're visiting from another church, God's intention was for every church to have servant leaders. Now, you might be thinking to yourself again, Pastor Steve, that's great. Love it. Why preach about it? Like there's better things to preach about. And that's a great question. But before I get into 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, let me remind us as to why Paul is writing this, because that's why I'm preaching it. Look down in 1 Timothy 3, down a few more verses to verses 14 and 15, because here's the theme of 1 Timothy. When Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, now here's the, here it is, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Folks, here's why we've got to talk about this in church. Here's why we've got to preach about it. Here's why we've got to get excited about it. Here's why we've got to get resolved to do something about it because church is failing in our culture. Too many pastors are not being servant leaders. Too many churches are splitting. Too many churches are running after vain things. You'll see that in the very next chapter, chapter 4, when Paul talks about people wanting to heap themselves, teachers having itching ears. If you want to see how bad the church has got, just turn on television and listen to the various programs. Anything, in fact, when I was in Bible college, and I'm talking about, you know, 15, 16 years ago, plus when I first started my master's, I had a professor that said this. He was from the United States, and he said, name me your sin, the thing that you like to do the most, and I'll give you the name of a church in America that will tell you it's okay to do it. Name me any sin. Pick your sin. And I will find you a church that says it's okay to do it. And that's true in Canada. You name what it is you want to get away with, you'll find someone who says he's a pastor, he's in charge, they're in charge, she's in charge, whatever it is, and they'll tell you it's okay. So this is why it's important for us to be passionate about God's word and what and how a church should be structured. And I want you to see this passage in its context. If the main subject is what we just read in 14 and 15, that we are to know how we ought to behave in the house of God because a world is watching, then we've already seen the priorities that Paul has laid out, right? We start back in chapter 1 where this church, the church at Ephesus, has bad leadership. They've got a bad set of pastors, set of elders. They're bad because they're chasing after things that don't promote love, they don't promote holy living, and they don't promote a deeper understanding of God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. So Paul talks about order in the church. And then in chapter 2, he says that church, when we gather together, we're to be a praying people. We're to be a Bible people. Make no mistake, we did certain things today, and we did it deliberately, not just by chance, not so we could fill up an hour and 30 minutes. We prayed because we're supposed to be a praying people. We read God's word because we're supposed to be a Bible people. That's what we're doing a Bible people, and we're supposed to be a loving people. But you know what? Then by virtue, we're supposed to be an obedient people. Because here's my little saying, right? This is all of 1 Timothy in a sentence. Right theology always leads to right living and always results in right relationships. And I'll, I'll say that I've heard from teachers that just when you get sick of staying it, they start to get it. All right, so we're going to say that over and over again, and you'll hear me. Right theology, if you believe the Bible correctly, you know because it will lead you to live rightly. And if you're living rightly, you know these things are working together because it will put you in right relationships in your marriages, as parents, as friends, in the church. You chase after each other. You're patient. All the things we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 become not abnormal, but normal for Christians, for a church. And so Paul has just finished talking about women. At the end of chapter 2, he talks about women and leadership. Chapter 3, he's talking about men and leadership. Leadership, too, as it relates to the church, only as it relates to the church. So in the context of this letter, Timothy... To Timothy, church leaders are vital. This is why I'm preaching about it. Leadership structure is vital to any healthy church. 
Having the right leaders that are servant leaders is a good thing. It gives God glories. We're going to see it helps us propagate the gospel. Good leaders guide the church. Good leaders keep church from division and destructive heresies. And if right theology leads to right living and results in right relationships is true, then how important is it to choose carefully those who will lead you? I think a lot of the problems in our churches is actually coming to fulfillment in the next chapter of 1 Timothy 4. A lot of churches have not done well choosing good leaders. And because of that, not only churches, but entire denominations have walked away from God, from his word, and from the gospel. So let's be sure of something, though, even as we go into this. I want to make sure, even though I talk a lot about myself and Daniel and Paul, let's rest on one thing, okay? Our authority is Christ. That's our authority. Calvary Baptist Church is not run by Steve, Daniel, and Paul. Okay, that's not it. We're the servant leaders of this church. This church is owned and run and operated by its head, the chief elder, Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? Amen. There we go. All right. He is the one in charge. Our knowledge of him is by his authority in his word. In fact, this is why I encourage you, if you will go to life groups, especially the Sunday night ones and Thursday night one that's dealing with Philippians, Matt Chandler in the promo. I love what it says. He says in one of his quotes is, we always want what's next. So many churches want something new. Give me something new. Don't always tell me about what the Bible... Give me something new about the Bible. It's not that I want to say get rid of the Bible, but tell me something new about the Bible instead of obeying what we know is in the Bible. Let's get back to what's in the Bible, what's right in front of us. And that's the issue Paul is sending Timothy to Ephesus about. Now, you've got to realize the New Testament describes Jesus as the chief shepherd. Peter describes him like that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. John, in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus Christ himself, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. So before we even begin, let's make sure we all understand this, all right? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So let's make sure we just put that to bed. In fact, one of the ways you'll know if a church is getting off, if the leadership is getting, if the leadership starts to in any way flirt with elevating himself, themselves, the church itself in any way to the authority and status of Jesus Christ, you know you've got problems. Because it should be clear to everybody all the time that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. But Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, has put a structure in place for his church to run effectively, to accomplish our mission and our calling. And the most importantly, when we do it this way, it gives God glory. It bolsters up our testimony. I'm telling you right now, one of the biggest problems we have in North America is, I mean, well, there's all kinds, but the church has lost its influence. The church has lost its way. We have forgotten how to be the church in front of a watching world. So I want to, for a few minutes here, let's answer this question. Number one, who are elders? All right? Who is supposed to run the church? As I said, every one of you, regardless of your background. See, regardless, if you've been raised Mennonite, Salvation Army, Pentecostal, Baptist, Anglican, Catholic, Protestant, Presbyterian, whatever it is, there's always some sort of structure that you deal with. 
There's somebody that you're calling someone something. You're calling somebody a pastor, a minister, a priest, a father. You're call- presbyters, cardinal, bishop, whatever it is. Everybody. And, and the thing of it is, f- what fascinated me in studying this is how many things we do and our minds never engage. We never ask, why am I doing this? I, I, this last week, I was telling the guys on uh, television, there's a new documentary about Scientology. And I was fascinated. I could not turn this off. If any of you have flirted with Scientology, stop it. All right? Um, if you have questions about it, come talk to me. But this is a cult, straight up a cult, created by a guy. And uh, this guy was in it for the money. He was in it for himself. But these were smart people. And the whole documentary centered around basically the circle of leadership around the head guy. And since 2004 to 2012, basically every one of this guy's inner circle have left Scientology. And they were interviewing them. And here's what they said. Every one of them. I cannot believe how much I did and never thought. How much I just accepted this. How much I just bought into it. But I never thought. I never thought it through. I never asked questions. I didn't engage. I didn't find out what I was doing. Listen, for the record, as an elder with my other elders, I, I hear my heart. I do not want you here at this church. I don't want you at any church without you engaging your mind. I will say this. This is my favorite saying. I heard uh, my youth pastor that I had in, in Grace Baptist used to say this to the kids all the time. Truth is never afraid of a question. I wish you would write that down and think, especially our college kids, if you're doubting and struggling, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. Of, I just bought a book by Barnabas uh, Piper that I love. He's a son of John Piper. It's called Help My Unbelief. And I can't wait to read it. Because it's an, it's an interview of people that have struggled in their faith. They've wrestled with the questions of the Bible and who God is. And here's the thing. God always comes through. God will always answer your questions. God will always come to you in your doubts. So listen, folks. Truth is never afraid of a question. When we say, who are elders? This can't be, this has to be more than just, well, that's your opinion. No, guys, the Bible has to say something. And that's what we want to get into. Because before you can apply 1 Timothy 3 to 1 to 7, and all of what we read, you need to make sure you understand who elders are. Who are they? Now, it might surprise you. Take it, and don't take my word for it. Everything, if I could ever beg of you to prove me on something or prove me wrong on something or to call me to question on something, it's this subject. Because this one obviously seems somewhat self-serving for me since I'm preaching about me. All right? preaching about me and Paul and Daniel. It might shock you that elders are quoted in every single book of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, you will find elders. It was a way of life. Now, I'm not talking about just church elders. I'm talking about elders in general, a plurality of people that lended leadership. It's always in the sense of plurality. You'll find it everywhere. In fact, in your Bible, you never have just one guy with all the power answering to no one and not needing both help and accountability ever cast in a positive light. It's always negative. One of our greatest examples is Moses. Moses was a guy who had all the power, and yet his pagan father-in-law comes to him and says, Moses, you're an idiot. Wouldn't you love father-in-laws like that? I have one like that, and I mean that in a very endearing way. You know, he's not afraid to tell me, Steve, you're an idiot. Um, 
especially as a pastor, he was a deacon for 20 years. And, and as a pastor, as an elder, often my father-in-law comes and points things out to me and makes me aware of things that I'm not seeing and I need him in my life. And so Moses' father-in-law comes to him in Exodus 4 and basically says, why are you trying to be a one-man show? That's not how this is supposed to be. And they set up structure even in the nation of Israel. And in 1 Timothy, you'll see it all the way from Acts to Revelation with the establishment of the church as the bride of Christ. God calls the church to be both led, cared for, and served, watch over, and served by the example of two groups, elders and deacons. That's the only two offices you're going to see in all of the New Testament, elders and deacons. Now, for the next while, we're going to focus on deacons. So who are elders? Number, I've said it a number of times. Number one, elders are servant leaders. Servant leaders. We're going to find out that deacons are leading servants. Elders are servant leaders. Deacons are leading servants. So elders are servant leaders. Believe it or not, from Acts to Revelation, elders are referred to in the New Testament 40 times, just from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation. As I said, with the establishment of the church, you will see it's often in the plurality. The only time it's ever in the singular is when they're pulling one out of the plurality, all right? Now, the confusion comes, and I can see it in your faces, and that's one thing I do love about the sides of this room, is none of you are too far away that I can't see the whites of your eyes, even your pupils dilating and going in and out, all right? Which is a bit spooky at times, all right? But you'll realize we have all these words we use when we talk about elders, Okay, see, in Ephesians 4, Paul said, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Peter said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, that elders are to shepherd or pastor the flock of God. Steve Da read Titus chapter 1, where Paul called church leaders overseers. Remember, he said, for an overseer as God's steward. And so you've got all these words in your Bible, and depending on your translation, you've probably come across the word elder, shepherd, overseer, pastor, or bishop. It makes it really clear for you, doesn't it? All right? So you, we have to ask, are all of these words describing different people doing different things? So are we saying that there's all kinds of office? So there's pastors, and then there's shepherds, and then there's elders, and there's bishops, and there's deacons. And you know what? Some churches go, yep. Some of you right now are thinking, yeah, I know churches like that where they've got pastors and then they've got deacons and they've got elders and they've got bishops and then they've got presbyters and there's laity and clergy. You're all right now having either Vietnam flashbacks or warm and fuzzy flashbacks to experiences based on church structure. You've all been in churches where pastors were too overbearing or pastors that were too passive, where deacons were run by a shadow government. All right, you have all experienced that. You've all been hurt by leaders. You've all been let down by leaders. And I have failed you. We have failed you. And we're going to continue to fail you. But we have to understand what's the structure supposed to be. And is there a difference between the fact that we fail because we're imperfect and we need a perfect savior or because we've structured church, we've set it up to fail because we're not following God's word. So... I would say to you that with all of these words, are there supposed to be all these different offices and all these different titles? No. A resounding no. The Bible clearly teaches that an elder is a man who does these things. 
It's not that he is all these different things. He does these things. Elder is the noun, for those of you that love your grammar, and the idea of overseer or bishop or pastor or shepherd, all these things are adjectives. They describe what the elder does. And two passages give us that, all right? They'll be on your screen, but study them after we, we're done. So first one is Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul has gathered the Ephesian elders, the people that we're talking about in 1 Timothy. Paul has gathered the Ephesian elders together, and here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, plural, and to the flock. Now notice this phrase in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the same word used in Titus. Then he says, to care for the church of God. Now, to care, that word care is the same word where we get shepherd in 1 Peter. Okay, and you'll see that in a second. So he says, to the elders, plural, yourselves, to the flock of God, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, all right? The I see of leaders, but you're to care, you're to pastor, you're to shepherd the church of God. Why? Because God obtained it with his own blood. Remember we said, the church belongs to Christ. He purchased it. The elders are the servant leaders. Notice he says, how to pay attention to yourselves, to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. You don't get to choose to be one. The Holy Spirit does. Now, notice 1 Peter 5. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort the elders, notice that plural, among you as a fellow elder. I find this fascinating. Peter is a disciple. But in writing this, he refers to himself as an elder with these other elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Notice this, shepherd the flock of God. That's the word where we get our word pastor. The reason why some of you call me Pastor Steve is because of that word, shepherd the flock. In English, that means pastor the flock. Care for, in Acts chapter 20, the flock of God that is among you. Here's how. Notice, exercising oversight. That's the same word again as that overseer's word. Notice, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Now, I love this, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So elders are servant leaders. Elder is God called. He's God called to oversee a church congregation by pastoring them and leading them and exampling Christ to them. So Calvary Baptist, I am an elder who pastors I'm an elder who oversees this flock, as does Daniel and Paul and Jeff. Jeff doesn't bear that official title in regards to function right now because he's on a Sabbath rest, but he's still one of the elders of the church. So all four of us pastor, we shepherd, we oversee, we pray for, we cry for. Let me just tell you, after, for eight months, just for the record, I love how Paul does this, as God is my witness. As God allows, every two Wednesdays, every second Wednesday, the elders get together here at this church. And my heart has always been blessed because when we get together, I've watched these men who work full-time jobs, are dads and husbands, cry over you, pray over you, talk about their shortcomings and their failures. 
allow us to go at each other and to poke into our lives. That's the joy of it. I don't want you to ever think, and if you ever do, that I or any one of your elders are in it for the power, we're in it for the gain, we're in, then we don't qualify to be elders. That's why you need to know who an elder is. They are servant leaders. That's what we are. Secondly, elders are reflectors of God's design. Reflectors of God's design. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, as well in these passages we've looked at, Paul makes it clear that elders are to display the glory of God. What that means is they function. And here's that word. And please, I'm using that word very deliberately. All right. In our church, I want people to understand there is a difference between function and value. Okay. As one of the pastors of this church, I function differently. I am by no means any better than any of you. I have no, God does not look down from the throne of heaven and go, look at my boy, Steve, man, he's rocking that pastor thing with Calvary. My goodness, I am blessed to have him. And I hope that the little peons that he looks over are are grateful as well. No, 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 no. You need to realize God looks at every one of you exactly the same way he looks at me. God loves you, died for you, saved you, has a plan for you, will use you, wants everything about you, adores over you, celebrates over you, sings over you, just the way he does me. We are family. My function may be different. My value is not a bit different. We are a family. Not you're a family and I'm like the big leader that runs out in front or, the, or Paul or Daniel. Or, that's not how it works. We're family together. We are together. We are reflectors of God's glory. And when we do that, when we do that, we display God's glory. And what does that mean? What elders are called to do, what each of us as Christians are called to do. Really, think about it. Even everything you've read. Elders are called to be witnesses and ambassadors and stewards and salt and light. Elders are not a special breed of Christians. We're not some like, you know, the A team and you're the B team. That's not how it works. Usually, though, elders are just more visually displayed. Usually, they example more Christ and the gospel in regards to the church as the city might looking in sees it. But let's be sure to settle this. Elders are not up here and the rest of the church down here. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Again, if you have your Bible, I know Steve's going to put it on the screen. Go to this because I want you to see this, all right? In Ephesians chapter 4, as I'm going to clue this up for this week. Ephesians 4, listen to Paul. He says... And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, again, if you take notes, the shepherds there, that's pastor, that's elder, okay? And you'll notice it says the shepherds and teachers. That's one group, all right? That's not two groups. That's one group. That's in, in the Greek, that's one phrasing of, of people, all right? Now, notice why he gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, in other words... How do you know if elders are doing what they're supposed to do if we're discipling a whole church to function like a church is supposed to function? See, if the pastor becomes a one-man show, there's a problem. If the church is run exclusively by two or three elders, there's a problem. Because then elders aren't doing what elders are supposed to do. Elders are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what it is. Now, notice why. For the building up the body of Christ... Why? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's something for every one of us. Now, look at this, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Now notice why this is so important. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, and this is important, speaking the truth in love. Now, we've learned from 1 Corinthians, that is something that all of us as a church, but that should be exemplified by your elders. Elders should be known as as the people that will, in love, speak truth, even if it means you're not going to be popular. Even if it means someone's going to say, well, in fact, just this week, somebody got a hold of me and asked me my opinion about something. And I had to say to them, now, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to realize this is proof that I'm your friend because I'm going to tell you what I believe you need to hear and not what you want to hear. In fact, I've told both of our boys, Debbie and I have told both of our boys when we're teaching Abby that that is the measure of a true friend. A true friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, but a true friend doesn't forsake you the first time you say it and they don't get it. Because church should be safety plus time plus the gospel equals family. That's what it should be. So he says, speaking the truth in love. And here's what happens. We are to grow up in every way into him. Now notice this. Who is the head? Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now, again, when each part is working properly, not just when the elders, when everybody in church is working, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You want to know how we are a healthy church? when we are looking out for each other, we're building into each other's lives, we're looking for ways to use each other, we expect each other to screw up, we expect each other to fail, but we don't turn our backs on each other, we don't abandon each other, we stay at it, and we stay at it, and we stay at it. And you know what? I want you to leave with this, okay? So elders are servant leaders who display the glory of God, but most importantly, and here's how I'm going to bring the train into the station as we close. Really, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, elders are dependent on the gospel. Elders are dependent on the gospel. Look at your passage in 1 Timothy 3. Elders are supposed to be all these things. Notice it. Self-controlled, sober-minded, without reproach, above reproach, with a good reputation, good marriage, good, good dad. Like, who of you look at that and go, oh, yeah, man, I, got, I, I rocked that. The moment an elder thinks that, he's not qualified. An elder is someone who shows the world, especially the church that God has put him in, I am dependent on the gospel. There's no way I can do this apart from Jesus Christ. Elders live out that Galatians 2.20 life every day. When Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but now Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't do it where I get up each morning and go, okay, Steve, listen, man, you're an elder, so you gotta, you got to bring it. you got to bring it. No, you know what? I get up and look in the mirror. I told you guys, I look in the mirror and go, Steve, you're a son of God. And there's no way you're getting through this day apart from thinking much of Christ and who he is. Because you're going to fail. And then even places you're going to succeed. Then you're going to be tempted to fail because you're going to be tempted to think that your success is of yourself. See how deceitful it is? How easy it is? So you've got to constantly think this way. So folks, an application, Calvary, are you dependent on the gospel? Are you praying 
for your elders to be dependent on the gospel? If you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're hurting, you're doubting, maybe you're thinking, well, you know what? My marriage isn't what it should be. You know what? I'm, I'm a college kid. I'm away from my family. And I'm, I'm you know what? My life is, I, I live two lives. I hope nobody knows. I got a foot in the world and a foot in church. Or some of you are feeling like, you know what? If anybody knew the way I speak to my kids, or if anybody knew what my financial situation was, or if anybody knew what, listen, no, no. Here, it's supposed to be safe to say I'm dependent on the gospel. Now, the good news is the gospel means we are not just an emergency room where everybody's sick and nobody gets better. The gospel heals. So when you come with whatever your doubts, whatever your struggle is, whatever your failure is, whatever it is, you can come to the gospel and the gospel heals. It restores patiently, walks you along. So elders are servant leaders. Elders display God's glory by being dependent on the gospel, which is every one of you, and which is why we're going to close with, Lord, I need you. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and preach easy words to read, difficult ones to proclaim. Lord, I thank you for the attention of the people here, and I pray that it has created questions. I pray that it has made people think. Father, for our visitors, I pray that they will understand, wow, Jesus is so much more than just a thought or a good guy. He is all-powerful. He's God in the flesh, and he had a plan not just to come and live and die, but to be risen from the grave and to rule and reign, which means he brought structure, and so the church reflects God's plan. Lord, I know that there are people here, and they're hurting, struggling, Lord, Satan whispers, and it's so easy to act in our own strength and not be dependent on the gospel. I have faced that reality many times this week, this day. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here hurting, anybody who doesn't know you, anyone who's like, man, these guys are awfully excited about someone I barely know, I know about, Lord, cause someone to come and ask questions, to know that, Jesus, you are not just a theory. You are real. You are God in the flesh. You are alive. Father, I thank you for elders. I thank you for the way you have structured your church, that you have chosen and called out men, foolish men, weak men, to confound the wise of this world. And we'll dig into that in the coming weeks. But, Father God, I pray that we will now sing collectively as a church, Lord, I need you because it is true. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.